That is a cool logo. I really like that logo. Number 41. <laughs> Chit Chats with Kit Cats, number 41. And today, tonight, tonight where I am, it's 9pm in my part of the world, Gold Coast, Australia. I think it's afternoon in Germany where there is, ding dong, who's at my front door? It is none other than Dan Gethke from Ibanez. How you doing, Dan? Hey, Rick. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing fine, mate. I was just taking a guess then. It, it is afternoon in Germany, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. One, one o'clock, like just right afternoon and uh, yeah, sun is shining. Everything's all right. Nice one. <laughs> it's midsummer over there? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're midwinter here. <laughs> and my midwinter is probably about the same as your midsummer. <laughs> I was about to say that. <laughs> are you guys getting the um, the heat wave? Like all my English friends are all complaining about the heat wave. And I asked them, what are you calling a heat wave? And they're like, oh, man, it's like 25 degrees. And I'm <laughs> laughing because the middle of the day here in winter is 25 degrees. <laughs> so how is it there? That's so cool. Well, um, 25 degrees is, is basically the average at, at the moment. Yeah, but you ain't gonna hear me like complain about the sun because I love the sun. I love good weather, and uh, you know, I, I'm usually not too much into like November, December, those kind of months where you got less light and very little sun. So, yeah, I'm a summer guy. Summer guy for sure. Cool. Yeah, as well as being a summer guy, you're you're the Ibanez guy. You um, am I right? Thing you started out as pretty a pretty big Ibanez fanboy. And now you've ended up working for them. <laughs> yeah, what was the story there? How did yeah. you come to work for, for Ibanez and what is your role at Ibanez? All right. Well, that's two questions in one. Let, uh, it is. Let me, try to, let me try to narrow it down. It's not too long of a story. Like, like you said, I started being an Ibanez fan because I, I you know, started playing the electric guitar at the age seven. My first guitar was an Ibanez, actually like a borrowed guitar. And later, my first real proper guitar was an Ibanez. So I kind of grew into that role to become like a fan of the brand and, and I really like, you know, checking out the catalogs at night and putting them under the pillow, you know, fantasizing about what, what my next model could be. And over time, I kind of like I was like a sponge, like soaking up all the information and, and all specs and the history and all that stuff. So I went really deep into into the whole like Ivanus Hoshino material. Mm -hmm. And um, about the time when I was... Uh, well, and, and regularly I would go to, to trade shows like Music Mess and uh, always went to the Ibanez booth and met the people behind that. And mm -hmm. this is like where some people sometimes get confused because you say I'm the Ibanez guy. I'm kind of sorta, but sorta also not because I'm like employed at uh, one of the biggest distributors for Ibanez. Uh, I'm employed at Minel okay. and we're working with the, with the Japanese for more than 60 years. And this is why we are acting as like Ibanez Germany as an entity, like basically like almost appear like a sister company kind of thing, which we aren't like legally, but in terms of the projects that we do in terms of, uh, you know, the development of the brand, we're basically all sitting in the same boat and we're sharing the same vision and it's, it's intertwined big time. And, and it's also both is family business, Minel symbols and Minel yep. distribution is family owned business. Hoshino is family owned business. So, uh, that's, that's pretty similar. And also the Japanese culture, um, is, is also pretty close to the German culture. So uh, usually, you, you know, the business routines, they, they fit pretty well. Oh, cool. But now back to the story. Yeah, yeah. back to the story. Like, so, so Meinl was uh, in charge or is in charge of Ibanez for, like I said, more than 60 years. And at uh, Music Messe, I used to go, go to the booth and always buy some merch. So I met Meinl's, the Meinl family. And they got to know me. And uh, when it was time during my studies to do a mandatory internship, uh, I was thinking, huh, what, what am I going to do? You know, 
in the early 20s, you, you don't have that kind of clear vision of what you want to do. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, I, I could try that, I could try that. And uh, always uh, at that time, I always, uh, already had like an acceptance for an internship at a, a telecommunication company. And I was thinking like, ah, is that really what I want? So I sent out an email to Mrs. Meinl, <laughs> the senior boss, and uh, asked ask her if I could like join for a couple months as a trainee, basically. And uh, she she wrote back, ah, usually we don't have trainees from the university because we're like a small, medium-sized company and blah, blah, blah. So, okay, well, I thought it was a nice try, but uh, never mind. But then a couple of weeks later, she wrote me back, you know what, let's meet and let's see if we can, you know, find a way to do that. And long story short, I ended up being there for six months. I think uh, they liked me, hope so. They probably liked what I did during that time. And um, then I returned, finished my studies, went to another university, uh, or my PhD in international management. And that fit very well together with the time when Meinl decided to go international because they were rather like German and Austrian centric during the time, not re- like exporting their symbols and stuff, but not really as a big distributor, big in various territories. But that fit pretty well at that time when that I was like majoring in, in international management, international business, and, and they had some visions and some plans to to go international uh so it was like a coincidence that at mesa i talked with mr Meinl and he said what are you doing now and i said well i'm just finishing my phd in international management and he said hmm, it's interesting we should probably have a talk and at that time there was a big like um concentration and, and also consolidation of brands at Meinl as a distributor you know we used to have like 20 25 brands mm-hmm. various brands competing products and all that stuff but at that time there was that company vision of narrowing it down to only the A brands, to do, to do the most important brands. And these are basically the Hoshino brands, Ibanez and Tama, okay. and uh, our own brands, which is minor percussion and minor symbols during that time. And um, yeah, so I started working there. At the time, I, there was a short period where I was in charge of the, the Dario operations. And uh, after after that, I switched to Ibanez. And uh, well, the rest is kind of history. From there, I kind of took it over and, and got it rolling and we're doing pretty well. I think the work with, with the Japanese is, is great. I really appreciate what we do and what we achieve together. And uh, it's like, yeah, basically it's, it's a dream job really and a dream come true to be able to work for the company that you that are really you know behind and that you believe in and that you play at home, you know? And uh, yeah, no, it's, it's one of the best things that, that could happen, yeah. That is very cool, man. That's very cool. Now, um, the, the name Ibanez. Mm-hmm. Ibanez. Correcto. <laughs> yeah. Aha. So a lot of people probably don't realize it's a Spanish name, isn't it? It is, yeah. yeah, yeah. How did a Japanese company end up with a Spanish name like Ibanez? Well, that's a good question. I mean, nowadays it's not so uncommon. If you, you, know, if you take a look at brands like uh, Ice Cream Hagen Dash, or something that's an American brand that suggests to be like a Danish or Swedish or something company. Mm-hmm. But back in the day, it was more like a coincidence because Hoshino actually was a Hoshino is, is based in Nagoya in Japan, and they started their business as like basically a bookstore with some additional business side business. And at that time, there was a lot of uh, you know m- new music trends going on, and uh, there was just a demand. It's always it's really a matter of, of demand. You know, you, you, you see those kind of entrepreneurs that at that time have a business and then they see, okay, there's a demand for a certain product group or certain item and then they take that on and they build that up. And, and with Hoshino, it was pretty much the same that there was a demand for, for guitars and classical guitars. Uh, so they got in contact with a um, 
a guitar manufacturer in Valencia in Spain called Salvador Ibanez, which is a renowned name during the time. I think he built guitars for a lot of great guys and he was one of the main manufacturer of, of prototypical classical guitars made in Spain. Uh, so Hoshino started importing that. You know, they, they started their own like kind of international career as a distributor. Not okay. necessarily as a manufacturer, yeah. and um, and and that went on for a couple for a couple of years. But at a certain point, I think there was some there was a civil war in Spain, and up to this date, it's not quite clear how the whole how the whole business model ended or the relation ended. But they decided, okay, if we cannot meet the demand in the market with with uh, importing that stuff, uh, why don't we build it ourselves with like contract uh, contracting companies, you know, manufacturers that build guitars under our name, and uh, since they were already selling kind of Salvador Ibanez guitars, they probably thought that Ibanez is a very Spanish and guitar kind of sounding name, and they sticked with that. So there was that differentiation between Salvador Ibanez as the handcrafted Spanish guitar, yeah. and then they had their own Ibanez guitar line, and from there, the rest really is history. So they started building guitars, getting experience in how to build guitars, and you know, researching the market, what the market really needs, and from there it all develops. And uh, you know, they they went into that uh, what nowadays is called the uh, pre-lawsuit area where yeah. they or era era yeah. where they um, started copying guitars at a tremendous level of quality, which led ultimately to Gibson suing them for not using you know no longer using the the open book headstock and the similar shapes. So what kind of year are we um, talking? Those, what years are we talking about well, here? Well, well, the the um, Salvador Ibanez that was 1929, if I'm not mistaken. Wow. So until yeah, until 1935-ish, and then there was civil war, and you know there was World War II afterwards too. So basically, like after World War II, the whole guitar business really you know kept up, and, and there was I think that was a baby boomer phase. So there was a lot of consumption after you know the whole turmoil settled and um yeah and they built up ibanez and the the lawsuit era ended in the mid 70s i think 1976 was the last year when they when they built guitars that were exactly one-on-one -on -one copies to to gibsons and fenders and man those guitars they were great and actually mm -hmm. that they also dates back to my personal relation with ibanez because i'm, I'm from germany and uh, during the the cold war that was the iron curtain and every, in, in East Germany, you could not get any kind of Western instruments at a good or even a reasonable price. You know, if, if, you, would, if you would buy a, a Fender or Gibson guitar at that time, you'd have to spend what would equal, let, let's say, 20,000 US dollars nowadays. Wow, wow. Yeah, for like a, a regular production model because yep. it was so hard to import that because officially it was forbidden. But, however, they had the copies, and Ibanez was one of the best brands that floated around at that time, and that is why so many like people from, let's say, Poland and Germany, Eastern Germany and Hungary, etc., they are like they they grew up kind of with with Ibanez as a as a brand, and most often with copies, and then later, of course, uh, they were interested in in their very own models too. Yeah, and from '76, I mean, that is really when it kicked off because at, in the mid '70s, Ibanez was very good, but a copycat. Yeah. But sure. from there, they, the whole I think the whole lawsuit kind of opened their eyes that if they wanted to have a future as a brand, they needed to to really kind of come up with something innovative and and something that is different compared to others. And actually, this is something um, two or three years ago, I met the old chairman Hoshino Yoshi Hoshino, who's in his I don't want to say something wrong but mid 80s early 90s like he's wow. he's already 
he's already a senior in uh, in terms of his age, but he's he has that kind of vision of of being innovative in his DNA. So yeah. when he talks about the brand, it's always about innovating and and finding something new, and this is really part of of the the Ivanis DNA. And uh, this is also what kind of started it all when they came up with the Iceman design in the late 70s and they came up with, you know, very various kind of new designs and basically also this, which uh, kind of defined a whole era, not yeah. just as a signature model, but also with the RG line as uh, one of the like household names for rock guitars and, and, and super strats kind of. Cool, cool. So, so you said Iceman, yeah, was that yeah. their first original model? That should be like the first real original model, yeah. I mean, wow. they altered the, the they altered the, the headstock shapes and and sold some single cuts and and double cuts, but like the real like new model, like off the scratch, that that should have been the Iceman, yeah. Wow, yeah. and that's such a different shape or design to anything else out there, isn't it? So it is, when you yeah, say innovation, yeah, they they totally went. Well, let's we've been making these copies. Let's just do something completely original. Uh, yeah, and yeah. yeah, Iceman, wow. And then, um, so who were the first big known players to start using Ibanez? Mm. That's a good question. I mean, there were there were some some heroes like Joe Pass back in the day, or even like Steve Lukather had a career, a short-lived career as an Ibanez artist. There's really? a, Steve Lukather, a Steve Lukather signature Ibanez guitar, yeah. Wow, okay. <laughs> SL, I think it's called the SL2020. It's like a kind of strati style with a uh, super nice um, turquoise top um, yeah it's, it's, it's a cool guitar but very short-lived so it's, it's kind of hard to say because a lot of those names they were kind of short-lived but there are there are artists from from the mid-80s that that stuck with the brand until today of course starting with Steve Vai with Joe Satriani um, I mean later they had Schofield in the 90s and uh, I mean, it's it's way, way too many to, to mention them. It's Absolutely. Uh, always always uh, also interesting to see how uh, how well those kind of artists are treated. You know, they yeah. are gods, basically. Sure. So I, I started <laughs> yeah. playing guitar in, in the late 80s, probably. Yeah. We were talking off-air before, and, and um, we said that uh, you started playing some, some Dire Straits, and I said, man, that Mark Knopfler was my, my first big guitar idol. So that was probably... Yeah. 86 87 when i first started and that's yeah. around the time when um steve i satriani all those kinds of guys started playing ibanez as well and that's what really made it explode wasn't it having yeah, guys like absolutely. that and like yeah. the, uh, the whole rg series did did the rg series come out after the gem was it is it true that Steve Vai come up with the gem guitar and they come up with that and then they made a, a cheaper version which became the RG. Is that how that worked? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's 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 the story how it's told. By the way, uh, I forgot George Benson is one of the longest time. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah I sure. Just, I just wanted that because he was he was very very uh, instrumental for the whole development uh, also in the in the jazz segment for Ibanez guitar. So they had a reputation at that point to really be a uh, a jazz brand but going back to the gem yeah i think that is the the original idea that uh they kind of designed the whole guitar for steve and then they made up their minds how can we put that into a guitar that is mass producible at a reasonable price and that was what ultimately became the rg uh-huh. yeah. now i'm going to get you to yeah. show us a bit bit closer at that but before we do that do that i'm just going to point out that there's somebody watching right now ben um 
And Ben is the guy that lent me the Chrome Boy. You saw that I had the Chrome Boy last week. <laughs> I was recording yeah, a bit yeah. of a cover um, for the IK Multimedia uh, Satch Pack that's coming out real soon. And yeah. Um, yeah, so I know Ben was was selling that. And I thought, before that goes, I'm going to quickly just record a bit of a cover with that. So <laughs> he's got the Chrome Boy. You have got the Relic Gem, which is like a one-to-one copy of Steve Vai's number one Evo, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. That was that was a guitar that came out to commemorate uh, 25 years of cooperation between uh, Steve and uh, Ibanez. And um, how many of those were made? Well, 100. <laughs> That's number one. No, well, they are all labeled one of 100. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a bit tricky. I, I don't know which. I know, I know. I don't know uh, which number it is because, like I said, that's from from the the company archive. Um, Mr. Meinl in the seventies decided to keep like one guitar of every single model. Yeah. And uh, so we have, I mean, not not necessarily every single model when it comes to his finishes, but now we have an archive of more than three thousand guitars in every Whoa. basically all yeah, old Cetrianis, old Gilberts, old Petruccis, and and also this little little piece, and it's a like a treat that I'm, I'm I get to to manage uh, that archive so I decide you know which guitars we put out for some exhibitions and uh, which guitars go into the archive when uh, when uh, specific models are discontinued so it's a it's not a burden it's a privilege to do that aha <laughs> uh-huh. so talking innovation yeah. um, now Steve Vai really did innovate quite a lot when he came out with the, with the gem I saw some some recent videos of him talking um, of just the design concepts and everything that he had. And, and you've got mm-hmm. the gem there, but that one is based on his personal number one Evo. So that's been modified even more over the years. But just looking at that one, yeah. what kind of innovations did Steve Y come up with that then inspired the, um, the RG series? Well, um, I think the overall shape was something that was quite radical at that time because mm-hmm. uh, back in the day, all the guitars used to be very, very smooth and round. Yep. And he wanted to go with a more edgy design. So if, I hope you can see that better sure if can. I hold it like this. So a lot of like kind of sharp edges, but not like uncomfortable sharp. It's more like to, to it's more like a design statement basically. It's it's super comfy, but it looks like a sports car. And uh, I mean, what Steve did is they they came up with the edge tremolo. So this is like a knife tremolo that is uh, double locking, so you can do all the crazy whammy bar stuff with it. Mm-hmm. And that was at that time, you know, Van Halen. It was just a must, you know, as a guitar manufacturer, if you didn't have like a double locking guitar, you, you didn't have customers. And, Absolutely. Uh, you know, Ibanez, Ibanez has always been a brand that came up with their own design. So they didn't just like buy the patent for from Floyd Rose or something, maybe for some parts of some ideas, but yeah. they always kind of manufactured their own um, hardware. And the Edge is one of the iconic original designs. And up to this day, you can find these on the JS models, on, on, on Vice, like the new Pia. This exact tremolo, and also um, on a lot of RGs. So now, it really has you the know, whole whole concept of being able to pull up. Was that a, a, a Steve Vai design? I know that's got the this the special claw looking thing there, but just in general, yeah. routing behind so that the trem could pull up. Was that something innovative, or were people already doing that? I'm I'm not quite sure because you know there I'm pretty sure that somewhere in the world there were people that were doing that because those kind of playing styles. It's not something that Steve created like off the cuff or you know out of the blue. It was it was there, but like he was he was very 
um, let's say, very, very assertive when it came to how we wanted to do those. And those kind of lion claws, you know, they make sure that even no matter in which position you have the tremolo, it never gets it never gets stuck. Yeah. So stuff like that. He was very insisting on that. Um, also, like the HSH configuration of pickups. That now, was kind of Did I see unusual. him say that he actually came up with the, the splitting so that when you're in the positions two and, and four, that they were splitting the coils? Was that a Steve Vai innovation as well? Or am I making shit uh, up again? again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably I, making shit up again. Shit. It's, it's, it's definitely something that he required and they, that he requested to have on his model. So um, it's probably not something that was new, but it was something that, that, that he considered as being a, like a requirement on his guitar. So that was a necessity and there was no way of, of circumventing that with something different. He needed that sound and he was very, very, uh, you know, insistent on, on having that. And I mean, what else is there? We have some some scallops on the 21st to 24th fret, so yep. there's a little bit of scalloping, so you get closer. Um, of course, the neck, the neck shape. I mean, those wizard or super wizard necks, they aren't super thin, so it's very comfortable if you are a very technical player. Mm-hmm. So this is a part of also part of the Ibanez DNA because they always appeal to the very technical players. And uh, so if you you know if you play on, on those necks and you get used to that, you can never go back to those baseball bats on on, on any other guitar. And, um, and and there are so many like small design ideas like the the Gem Evo came up uh, came um, X Factory with this little uh, tape here and so you oh, can cool. have a pick holder. Oh, is that what that is? Here and, okay, yeah. Because yeah. I was so, thinking, man, so, that, that the shape looks different to what I'm used to. Yeah, <laughs> and that's what that is. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. And and the Pia nowadays has like the uh, the magnet on the on the back plate, so you can just take it off i mean yep. there are so many u- unique ideas this is for example a feature that i could totally see as a regular feature on a lot of guitars in five years from now and uh i think this is one of the big uh big parts of of, of, of steve Weiss' contribution to overall guitar design and, and the development of the guitar that he was so uh you know innovative but also very insisting on 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 certain features to be part of a signature line but also of the, the the regular production line like the rgs yeah. okay so there, there was a question um in the chat room there you were just saying about that collection of guitars which you said was up to about <laughs> three thousand. is that mm-hmm. on display somewhere can people see that online unfortunately not yet um if you follow us on ivan's germany instagram we are about to to restart usually we had some some guitar festivals back in the day we already hosted three big guitar festivals with steve Vai and paul gilbert headlining and uh, usually during during those festivals, we have like an exhibition where we show a part of it. But it's like a real like an exhibition where you get to learn more. It's not just you know we put the guitars there and then people can can try them out. We have like the the story behind that. We show pictures. We show some background stories, and that is really uh, like the added value of, of of taking part. So if there ever will be another Ibanez Guitar Festival, I'm not saying it will not. Um, that might be the place to go and and check out those guitars. Cool, cool. So. Yeah. Back to that that relic, the um, the Evo that you've got there. There's a few things that Steve has done on his personal, which they've copied on that there, as opposed to the production model gems. What little idiot, uh-huh. idiosyncrasies are on that that aren't on the regular production model gem? <laughs> oh, that's a good question. I mean, um, this is also like it, it. It basically represents a certain time in uh, in steve's development so for for instance on his new guitars and on his regular guitars that he plays for a lot of uh, songs he has a sustain here in the in the neck position yep so that is different to that guitar 
But what is what is a, a true by idiosyncrasy is, uh, for, for instance, to have the gaffer tape right here. Yep. So he puts the gaffer tape on the pickup so the, the, the high E strings don't get stuck there when he plays because, yep. you know, his intricate playing, especially with the whammy bar action, that could happen. Mm -hmm. Also, Steve added uh, recently some switching options here for the, for the Sustainiac. And then you see the different knobs that mm -hmm. probably allow him to, to navigate a little bit easier and to know exactly which position he wants to have what you know the volume and the tone um apart from that it's not it's not super super like special in a way that you could not like modify an rg in a, in a similar way or you know a regular jam so it really, yeah. i think the the, the magic of, about that model was that it's an exact uh, replica of what steve used to play so you get a little bit of that feeling to be steve by now i know that steve's uh, actual evo has got a crack down on that starts on the neck joint that runs all the way down the back and they've replicated it there haven't they well because yep there it is because i've heard him say that for years he's been waiting for that guitar to just fall apart in his hands anytime yeah, yeah and yeah. now that's not a real crack is it they've just done the paint no. the, yeah <laughs> because <laughs> that would luckily. be disastrous yeah <laughs> absolutely but there's, there's a, here's a story um you know the thing is when steve's on tour it could happen that you get a, a call in uh, it's thomas nordic his guitar taken he says you know what, tomorrow we'll be in Nuremberg. Could you bring another neck? And you say, well, okay, we can. And then you're there, and like two or three hours before the actual gig, he swaps the neck on his guitar. Yeah, okay. <laughs> because I've seen, like... him, I've seen him with uh, yeah. the equal temperament frets, the squiggly frets. So yeah, yeah, I can yeah, see yeah. that he's tried that and tried a whole bunch of different things. So he is one to, yeah. to swap it out, but just keep the, the, the one body, huh? Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm not quite sure if Evo is still like being used live, but at that time, the guitar was about to fall apart. But that is that is something that you see with so many musicians that stick to like one instrument. There's like if you if you check out Steve Morris and his number one guitar for Music Man, uh, that guitar is also about to disintegrate just <laughs> at a certain uh, point of time. Also, um, Andy Timmons with his AT100, yeah, such a lovely guitar, super old, I think from '92. But you know. <laughs> It's a wonder that it guitar plays like like it plays, you know. And especially these so, guys have their own signature models, so you'd think they'd be able yeah. to just go, ah, time for a new one. But no, they got their their old yeah. old favorite. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they they are worn in. I I can totally understand that. You know, if you, if you spend twenty years, twenty plus years of, of playing an instrument, it you know it resonates with you. It Absolutely. becomes a part of your of yourself. Cool, cool. So, um, yeah. endorser wise, now I was going to have come up um, your. The, the Ibanez website, uh, but as we're doing a few tests there, it was sort of <laughs> spooking out my my streaming software a bit. So um, okay. I'm, I'm not going to go there because it'll end up messing things up. But I was going to go there because it had a, a big list of all your endorsers. You know what? I've got another computer right beside me, which I'm going to turn online and have right. a look at some of the, the list of current endorsers because you got a lot um, yep. as opposed to just... The, the actual models while I'm waiting for that to load up because uh, I, I am, it was offline. I've just got to turn it on. What is the difference between the prestige and the premium line? It's just where they're manufactured. Prestige has uh, been made in Japan and the premium line is the top notch line made in Indonesia. Okay. So prestige is Japan. Just taking notes yep. here, <laughs> like a good little boy. And yep. the premium <laughs> is Indonesia. Correct. Yeah. Well, I got to say, man, I – oh, look at that. I said about turning the sound down or else it confused itself. And that, that just caught me up then. <laughs> I could hear myself talking all of a sudden. Um, let me just turn that 
sound off there. So I went to a music store recently and had a bit of a play on a premium. Mm-hmm. And the price was very affordable. Um, mm-hmm. Australian dollars, pretty terrible. So um, <laughs> in our money, it was like $1,600 or something. Mm-hmm. But the quality was absolutely outstanding. I couldn't believe how good that guitar was for the price. Mm-hmm. I've played other Indonesian guitars from other manufacturers, and it's not the same. It's not the same. Okay, well. How is it that the Ibanez Indonesian guitars are so good when other companies put them out of Indonesia? Uh, you'd be looking at it thinking, oh, the lights weren't working that 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 day or something. You know, the, the screw holes are out of line. And <laughs> is there a particular factory they're using there that's really top-notch as opposed to the others, or is it just a quality control thing? How, well, why? that's a good question, but I think it, it, it's like – both holds true. Like first part is that uh, Hoshino very specifically selects with whom they they want to work. So they do not just produce um, at the factory because they are able to meet a certain price point. So quality has to be par. And uh, if, if the comp- uh, like if a manufacturer cannot meet a certain uh, certain quality level, then it's not really an option for for Ibanez. So that is a big part. And also, I mean, the the distributor network and and and. and um, sister company network for Hoshino as a mother company is so well established. Um, let's let's take Ibanez Germany alone. We have 12 or 14 people, sometimes fluctuates a little bit, that all day check guitars. So every wow. single guitar that you that you buy has been hand-checked by someone. So it could either take him two minutes, well, maybe five. It could take him 15 minutes, but he will make sure that that guitar that he took out of like either the, the cardboard box or the case is ready to play when you receive it. And that is like a major point. I mean, it's, it's a cost driver for sure, because you've got like, you've got uh, people that have to work there. Uh, it takes a lot of time. Sometimes it can hold you back from shipping to stuff because nowadays, you know, everyone is super impatient and they want to have to stuff ideally yesterday and not uh, tomorrow. So um, sometimes it can be like a little bit of a bottleneck, but for Ibanez and also for us as a distributor, it is just a um, like key part of, of the overall value that Ibanez presents uh, to the consumer that you have every guitar checked. And uh, I mean, we have a, a very rather small rejection rate of the, of the instruments, which is good, which means that the quality level from the factory is already there, but still not a single guitar will go out where we are not convinced that it is all right. And wow. I think this is like... A major part and and actually there's a little bit of insight we have a, a an automated warehouse that organizes all the stock because i mean the territory is quite big but here's the thing every guitar that's being qc'd is only like they get they get a little mark that it's qc'd but that mark uh, disappears after six months so if a guitar sits longer in our warehouse than six months it'll be checked again before we send it out just to make sure because of the humidity level and, and temperature sometimes neck skin warp and sometimes the setup cannot be ideal so we make sure that uh you know, get you get the utmost quality and, and the, the best possible setup if you buy it. And that's that is great. really part of the recipe, yeah. You know, it's really funny there, Dan, is just as you started to, to say all that, somebody in the chat room there said, from day one, Ibanez were adapting their designs to put up with shipping to different climates, from the first Japanese yeah. classicals all the yeah. way to, to the rock-solid yeah. AZ model ahead of their time. Yeah. So that was as you were explaining that, somebody had – had chimed in and said exactly the same thing. So, yeah. yeah. Um, 
do openers pleck their guitars or is it all done by hand? It is <laughs> all done by hand. Actually, we've, we've been looking into the whole plecking process for a while and uh, because I'm convinced that it can make a good instrument even better. Mm-hmm. But in terms of uh, the level of playability that we achieve with the guitars, we really came to the point where we said, well, it's not really that much of a difference. And if a consumer wants to play their instruments, it should be their decision. But for us as a company, they come from the factory already at the level where you say it's top notch. So there was no need to do that. But that being said, like, I think the, the, the plucking technology can be really like adding some, some playability to an instrument. So if you should happen to have a guitar that is like 10 years old and it somehow, you know, through humidity, climate change, etc., has changed a little bit, I definitely recommend to having it plucked rather than cryo-tuned or whatever is out there. I think plucking is a really good, a good means to, to improve playability of the guitar. Yeah. Now, I've heard some good and some bad things about plucking. Um, I've, I've had a friend who plays in a pretty famous band over here in Australia. When I mentioned it, he just shook his head and just went, oh, he, he put one of his guitars in. And this was a used guitar, not, not a, a brand new one. And I understand if you're doing it off a, off a brand new one, the way that the Plec machine works is it looks at what the lowest fret is and mm-hmm. will do everything off the lowest point. We had, he had one very worn out fret and he said he got his guitar back and it basically was a fretless almost. It just had nothing. <laughs> and he had to get the whole guitar refretted. But I oh, think no. that sort of comes down to the operator who did that. Um, and yeah. also there's a guitar builder over here, Charles Cilia, uh, who I'd love to be able to afford one of his guitars. He just makes very high, high-end stuff, but it's also um, comes with a high price tag. Um, and he does it all by hand as well. But um, there are a lot of companies that have played the guitars that have been plucked and there's a consistency about that. So I, I guess it comes down to who's operating the machine versus who's Definitely. actually doing the fret leveling and everything. But absolutely, yeah. as I could say, Ben, I'm really blown away by the Indonesian, the, um, the premium line. And that's something that's on my, on my list uh, of <laughs> things to get. Uh, and just you saying about the, the next shifting, I really want, I'm a strat kind of guy. And I, I really want a Strat with a, a locking Floyd Rose. And so I, I went to play some some Strats today at, at a music store and there was a lot of the same model, but the actions on some of them were like, you know, like this and then the other one was down low and all that. And yeah. they had really adjusted um, to the to different weather. I, I said it's it, we get nice warm weather here during the daytime. But it can get cold at, at night, and I think that had really messed with them. Now, Ibanez have got that whole multi wood. Mm-hmm. How many how many pieces do they use in a, a typical neck? Well, it, can, it depends from being a three piece neck up to a thirteen piece or something. And that's on a base like wow, and that's a lot of stability yeah. because I'm not sure yeah. if people are aware, but when you have multiple pieces of wood on a neck especially if the if it's opposing grains and then the glue mm-hmm. like the glue is quite often the strongest part uh, yeah. and that is probably where that stability comes comes through yeah Ibanez haven't always also, done that though have they um, I'm not quite sure when they started doing that but that kind of of, of layered kind of ply multi multiply necks that was something like you said when the whole detuning trend came up and, and necks really were prone to warping and to you know, not being stable enough. And there's the KTS uh, titanium reinforcement that Ibanez uses on some guitars. And oh, wow. and like you said, the uh, the multi-ply solution is, is very 
sophisticated because it gives you a lot of stability in the neck and also like the playability is great because those kind of open grain woods that you use you know wenge for example is a great wood or purple heart is a great wood and you could use it feels great it's got that open pore kind of feel to it so it almost almost feels like it's been played for a couple of years already so okay. that is definitely a, a key part yeah I've got I don't have an Ibanez here but I've got a, a Hamer which is probably a 90 1990 or a 91 model and that mm-hmm. had a um, they say a five piece neck but a couple of those pieces are on the headstock it's got one of those sort of <laughs> hockey stick so it's mainly a three piece and that yeah. guitar um, man I, I it just doesn't shift like I, I get a fret job done on that once every 10 years maybe more mm-hmm. Um maybe 15 years I've probably had had it done and it just doesn't shift so that really does work having the multi multiple different yeah. woods there I think yeah so we were talking For about sure, endorsers yeah. there and I've got the Ibanez page yeah. open over here signature models yes got man there's, there's a lot how many there's one two three four five six times one two three four so there's like 20 endorsers there Jake yeah. Bowen I I I gotta admit I don't know a lot of these guys uh, that are on <laughs> yeah, there. No, no worries, neither neither do a lot of other people because it's tell, at some point it's so niche. But uh, it's always been part of Ibanez to kind of develop those artists from their very early days. So uh, we can we can we can discuss a few guys. Like if you if you want to uh, talk about a few of those guys. Yeah yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna zone in on just a few. I'm gonna I'm gonna zone in on a few. Um, so Paul Gil- Paul Gilbert. <laughs> He's been a long time Ibanez guy. He's been playing them since the, well, that that whole onslaught of Satriani, Vi, Frank Gambali. I'm just trying to think. Yeah, he was using them correct. back in the late '80s when I first started. Paul Gilbert. Yeah. Um, they were the, they were the, the big guys that that I still sort of hear of today. There was a couple other guys that sort of who, <laughs> but they're, yeah. they're the main ones. So yeah, Paul. Yeah. Having a look here, he's had his signature model with the fake f holes on there for quite a while now, huh? That that was the very first model, actually, the PGM one hundred. You got me put me on the spot here. In late eighties, when that came out, or early nineties, uh, that was like the, the 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 purple one with the with the pinkish f holes. That was the first the first signature guitar for him. And uh, um, I mean, he was he was one of the big guys at that day, who, whose ability even at a young age was already like beyond what 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 you've oh. seen anywhere so and, and those kind of you know those those days the shrapnel, shrapnel records i think that was the big yep. label that had all the shredders on there um there were so many guys that were also ibanez guys and and I'm, I'm super happy to see that quite a few of those survived and had a long and very 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 uh vivid career and mm-hmm. uh, paul i mean he was he was a cool dude and well, still is a, is a great dude actually there's a cool side story about the guitar did you know that the uh the purple pinkish uh finish the design actually was not necessarily his idea it was just like a a, a color kind of suggestion from from ivanus oh really and he thought well that's pretty cool let's stick with that <laughs> yeah cool <laughs> yeah now he's got yeah. the uh the fireman model as well now which is oh, the yeah. it's an iceman but just flipped upside down Absolutely, that's, that's pretty so cool. cool. Yeah, I uh, do. Do you know a story behind that? No, no. That is that is a. I mean, uh, Paul is a very like computer savvy guy, so he, he knows how to you know use Photoshop and stuff like that. So he kind of you know experiments a lot with different designs and how would the guitar look like this and with that finish. And um, he used he took an Iceman and just flipped it over, and he thought, well, that is super cool. 
why hasn't anyone thought about like flipping the guitar over? Because then it, it gets a total like different design. So he made a few adjustments and talked with the guys at the LA custom shop how that could turn into a guitar. And that's also why it's called the Fireman, because it's like the opposite to the Iceman. Cool, cool. <laughs> so it's basically a kind of Photoshop coincidence. Yeah. Wow, wow. Now I, I have opened up my web browser and I am gonna try and go to the the split the share screen and hopefully <laughs> this right. doesn't completely crash everything and uh just to have a look what else is on there oh look at that yes we can yeah. see that and we've got you oh. in the corner as well we don't need to see you in the corner i'll get rid of you there there you go hmm. um so yep who else we got that's paul gilbert um uh, i got all these other windows in the way for instance are you aware of martin miller Martin Miller, yes. Yes, I did see him you at NAMM, and he's quite often seen playing with Tom Quayle. Uh, yeah, and he's, which, a, he's got a great channel uh, where he does those kind of session covers. He invites guys like Paul Gilbert, Andy Timmons, Mark Lecherry, those kind of guys, and they do, they do songs like, I don't know, Gary Moore songs or the originals from the artists with a super cool session band, and they play that live. Like They do like three or four takes. And then uh, they take the best take, and that's it, and that's the video. So it's a cool life vibe, and it's like the musicianship is just beyond belief, really. That is cool. super cool. Cool. And he was he was instrumental in designing the AZ line. If you, okay. if you don't mind, uh, if you don't mind like shifting the attention a little bit to a more, uh, let's say, contemporary model. Yeah. Um, the I AZ, just wanted to check the, before you go any further. If anybody's yeah. watching there, when I did cut to the. Um, to the screen share and had that up. Could you still hear Dan talking? Because I have had that in the past where when I cut to that, uh, that the audio dropped out. But on my little meters, it said that you were still going. So hopefully it did. But you've got the um, the AZ there, have you? Yeah. This is Let's not have a look like at a that. regular production. That's an Andy Timmons signature guitar, but it's based on the AZ line. So it shares the same, the same uh, specs and the same shape. So basically, the AZ was, it was designed to be a guitar from... Uh, like considering all the needs of a mu modern musician from A to Z, hence the name. All and right. Martin was one of the was one of the few guys that were very very instrumental in designing the 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 instrument. Like they tried out different necks, they tried out different finishes, they tried out different pickup combinations. They uh, had different shapings of the overall body, and basically they narrowed it down to what those guys like Tom Quay, Martin Miller, Lee Rave, Mark, uh, Marcus Fogli, those kind of artists, what they liked basically, and that was like the culmination of all, all of their needs and all of their desires. And uh, it's like the modern modern player's player guitar, you know, well, the modern player that, that wants to have a different vibe, not not too like progressive, but a little bit more vintage -y, but with modern specs. I was just saying, uh, I was looking around for a, uh, a Stratty type guitar. That, uh, mm -hmm. that, might, that might just fit the bill there. Where is that one made? That one is made in um, Japan, but there's yep. also a premium line that shares... Uh, 80% of the specs. It's just a little bit different because the, the premium line of the AZ uses basswood instead of alder, mm -hmm. which gives it a totally different ton, uh, character, tonal character. Like the basswood guitars, the premium ones, we have a lot of artists uh, in our territory that actually prefer the premiums because the basswood is that kind of rock and roll tone. You have the Marshall, you put it, you dial it on 11 and that guitar and you can go, you know, there's, it's a no frills instrument. Whereas the alder, the, the, the uh, prestige models that usually come with alder, they are more like, hi-fi more like well balanced from from the lows to the highs okay to put that way whereas the premium is a little bit more mid focused which can be a, a big part of your sound so it really comes down to your personal taste 
Is is it the same hardware on both the Prestige and the Premium? The pickups are the same. The tuners are the same. The only difference is the tremolo because on the on the uh, Prestige AZs it's a, a very thick tremolo block, whereas in um, on the and it's a steel tremolo block, whereas on the AZ Premiums it's a zinc. Uh, tremolo block that's a little bit thinner. But that being said, um, the thickness of the tremolo block really is not an indicator for how well those guitars resonate. So I, I highly recommend people just to try out. You know what we did when Martin was at our showroom? He wanted to get another guitar of his uh, MM1 signature guitars. What he did, we blindfolded him and he tried mm -hmm. out like eight different MM1s. And then we narrowed it down to the top three. And then he took his, found his, his guitar with it being, being blindfolded, just listening to his ears and his fingers and his kind of gut feeling wow so it's always the best that's always the best okay yeah so you, you said a lot of that comes from um martin miller was was very instrumental in in designing yeah yep uh tom I'm just quail gonna, big tom time. quail now i i did get to actually play tom's actual guitar at 42 gear street when yeah. we threw together a little guitar battle just a last minute <laughs> thing I, I had some time yeah. booked in the main room and i remember talking to dave friedman going dude I, i'm on soon I don't know what I'm gonna do, and he's he goes, he just looks at me, he goes, I want to see a guitar battle, Tom Quill versus Savvy, and I just went, do you reckon, do you reckon Savvy will do it, man? It's it's a big big ass to go up against Tom Quill, and he goes, I'll make him, <laughs> and they did, and it, it was it was great, yeah, yeah. But I got to sit beside Tom as he was warming up, and to hear him, if anyone hasn't hasn't heard Tom Quayle play the guitar, check him out. Like his legato and stuff is just, oh, it's amazing. But, uh, and also check out the video on my channel of uh, the guitar <laughs> battle between him and Sammy Bola. Yeah. He actually gave me his guitar to have a play because he tunes his guitar funny. He doesn't do yeah. it the traditional way. He does it all in fourths. So fourths. correct. low to high, E, A, D, G, not B, C, yep. E, A, and F. Correct. Yeah. 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 So that is a totally different map. <laughs> You're lost. When you it try is, it but it isn't. I, I, I remember saying to him, this is to eliminate that, that one step because there is a, a when you play three, three note per string scales, there's this revolving pattern all Correct. over the neck. Yeah. It adds symmetry. It adds symmetry. But and, and, you, you got to get rid of all those kind of old shapes that you have somewhere in your brain. It messes with your chords. That's the only thing. Like he was trying to show me yeah. how to play basic chords yeah. and it took me a second to get it. And, <laughs> and, and I've actually got a video on my channel as well. If you guys go have a look of him trying to explain to me, oh, no, this is how you'd play. So he'd play like an, an E chord and then he goes, okay, now just move it down. Instead of being A minor, that's actually how you play A major. And then move it down another. There's your, there's your D. And it was just like, hang on. <laughs> what? What? Oh, boom. Yeah, kind of get it. Get it. But yeah. um, to sit beside him as he was warming up and just hearing his fingers slapping against the, the stainless steel frets, just. And I actually got my phone in there and stuck it right up in between <laughs> next to his picking hand. And oh my God. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Um, so we should actually, I'm going to have a look and see if I can find um, his signature guitar. So we're talking about all these different guys' guitars. Where is Tom? Has he got a new model coming out? There's nope. Tom. <laughs> Every, no. Everyone was asking that. No, it's just a one-off. Just uh, a one-off. He was, he was yeah, he was interested in having a guitar with a nitro finish. So this is a first for for Ivanus to kind of apply nitro finishes on on a guitar like that. And uh, 
he went with a very, very vibrant color and different pickups. These are uh, Bare Knuckles, Stormy Monday, and uh, Mother's Milk pickups, which sets a, a little bit apart from his regular uh, production model because the TQM1 uh, comes with uh, the Simo Duncan Hyperions. Okay. So different tone. I mean, he's, he's experimenting all day, and he's a musician, so he needs different different tones and a, a wide palette of, of options to create his tones and sounds. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, yeah. Yeah, I saw um, he posted something on Facebook. I think I've got a handle of my, – my controller is messing up, but I, I, I've found how to get back. So it's got our names down the bottom when I'm showing the screenshots, but that's okay. We can work <laughs> around that. Uh, now, yeah. looking at some of your other endorsers there, um, the signature models, um, it's confusing because I've got a little screen. I've got little screen things covering it, so it's easier for me to actually look over here and see them all. Uh, all right. Paul Gilbert. Kiko. I've heard yeah. of him. Who does he play with? He's Megadeth? He's in Megadeth, yeah. yeah. Okay. He was, yeah. He was, a, he was he's playing a band called Andra, which is a uh, like uh, South American, like very big in South America, mm-hmm. but uh, because he's, he's uh, from Brazil. And uh, when he joined Megadeth, it just everything blew off. It was it was he was so big all of a sudden, and he's he's got a great channel. He's got a great like bilingual channel on on YouTube as well, where he gives like some lessons and uh, he shares some insights on his daily routine in the studio too. So uh, yeah, he's a great artist to have, and his his uh, signature guitar is stunning. Cool. The Kiko Two Hundred is uh, super cool. It's a, a made in made in Japan guitar. It's carved top. HSH pickups and uh, it's a really really nice model. Okay, I'm gonna try and just bring that up so we can actually see that. There's the Kiko. Yeah, yeah it's got a five-piece neck, Wenger and Maple, so that feels pretty nice. Uh, super triple A or, or uh, uh, four times A quilt maple top on a lightweight mahogany body, ebony fretboard. It's a super cool guitar. Now, I'm I'm actually colorblind. I'm red green colorblind. Is that picture there is that a green uh flame maple yeah. top with the black yeah i love that color um yeah, yeah, and i yeah. say uh, colorblind but i can see it like up close <laughs> but because i'm looking at that small um it's very yeah. hard for me to see uh that yeah they make stunning guitars i've actually got a, a blank uh warmth body here that i want to stain um and, and do a, a, a green dye not stain dye all right uh, all yeah right. yeah yeah I, i've i've done my own back there i'm not sure if people can see no there's things in the way but yeah i've done some of my, my yeah. own over the years um and that's, cool. that's a lot of fun uh popping the flame um i'm gonna go grab it let <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me show off some of, some of my guitars probably a little bit ibanez inspired actually cool This one here, wow! I uh, yeah, that was just a. I uh, I, I dyed that, and then sanded it, sanded it back, uh, to to make uh-huh. that that flame pop. But I did toy with the idea of going over that in a green afterwards. Um, but I have another blank body there. I just don't have a, a neck and all the rest. It it adds up to buy quality parts. Yeah. Really does add up, price wise. Yeah. But, yeah, what, what, bridge, what, what bridge are you using on that guitar? Is it Wilkinson? No. This no? one is a Super V. Um, All right. Blade Runner. Blade Runner yeah, Super yeah, V. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Don't know if you know wow, about those. Awesome. 
They yeah, have. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a, a little piece that connects. It's going to try and focus on my eyes. I have to hide my eyes. Um, that connects the bit that, that bolts to the body to the rest of it uh, is this aircraft-grade aluminium that, that flexes. It's, uh-huh. a, it's a very different kind of design. But I can get a lot of a lot of abuse out of it. Mm. Cool. With locking tuners. Very nice. Now, um, I, I'm just going to have a look at some more of the um, signature models that you guys have got there. Mm-hmm. So we had the, the. I mean, green is green is definitely a trend color at the moment because uh, if you look at the lineup, the uh, the JB Brubaker guitar is green, the Luke Hoskin model is green, Kiko's guitar is green, Marcos Fogli's guitar is green. Yvette Young's guitar is sparkly green, so it's, wow. it's it's a green period at the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. And I've also noticed a lot of the the classic um, car colors from the the fifties and sixties are also back. Um, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll go into music stores and see. Um, what's the green that I'm, I keep seeing? There was a particular name for it. Name escapes me. But okay, I'm, I was going through your your endorsers over here. Noodles, you still got noodles? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, He's a cool dude. Yeah. Okay. I think everyone, everyone who was who was born in the eighties, kind of grew up with the offspring, right? Yeah, yeah. So I'll just bring up noodles there, and I should be able to change my little screen there. Boom! There's. He's one of the. He 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 always passes on the torch of the Tallman guitars because Tallman is not like a regular production model anymore. Yep. But he's got the the NDM five, the new Tallman like noodle signature model. And also Yvette Young, she's the second artist on the roster that is uh, a signature artist with a Tallman guitar. So okay. they're keeping the Tallman alive, which is, yeah, I yeah. think it's a great and very unique design. Yeah, It is, very much so. Uh, I remember when they came out in the 90s and I, I, thought, I thought they looked a bit funny. <laughs> but everyone's <laughs> tasted the difference. Now, yeah. the man himself, Satriani. Oh, yeah. yeah. How, can, how can you not... Oh, look at that. There's a Chrome Boy too. Let me just go and change a Z screen so that people can see that. As I said, my friend Ben is in the, the chat. I'm not sure if he's still there, Ben. But, um, yeah, he lent me a Chrome Boy like that to, to record a little <laughs> cover with. Um, cool. Yeah. It's a very cool guitar. Now, Satch has been playing um, Ibanez for as long as Steve Vai has, really, hadn't he? Well, just yeah, afterwards, yeah. just afterwards, he started it, right? I think correct. More than, more, than, more than 30, 30 years now already. Yeah. yeah. And his guitar has gone through some changes. Like he's he's always had that shape. That was based on an, an old model, wasn't it? Um, correct. The yeah. Radius. No. Correct. It was a yeah, radius. Yeah. It was a radius. Yeah. Okay. There was the power. There was the saber and the radius. And uh, the the shape actually, it's called aerofoil. No, it's it's thicker on on the lower bout of the of the body, and it's very thin towards the upper side of the uh, of the body, like the, you know what what sticks with your body, your belly, and you know. So uh, it's a very unique design. It's super comfortable. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, I appreciate comfort in a guitar because I was always skinny guy, man, and like this is why I never liked Gibson guitars when I first started playing. A Strat just was molded to me, and it fit in there. Yeah. And I'd pick up <laughs> yeah. like a Les Paul or something, and man, it would hurt. Dig into my ribs yeah. and my, my little All skinny forearms. Uh, so that's why I was always a, a Strat guy. But yeah, the, the Satriani one, man, he's gone through some some 
pickups and configurations. Like I'm looking at a picture there, and that one's a 24 fret. Um, Nowadays, was, all are. They're all 24. He he uh, shifted towards a couple of years ago. Like he, he used to play 22 frets, but I think uh, what was it? For for some musical project, he he needed like the two extra frets for for his music, and uh, from there he got used to it, and uh, he stuck with it. Okay, uh, now who else we got there? Wow, you still got Monkey from from he- um, from Corn. Yep, correct. Yep. He has a, a signature model, a new one. It's called the Apex Three Hundred, uh, which is actually the first signature guitar to feature an Evertune bridge. What is the Evertune Bridge? I keep hearing about these Evertunes. Now, tell me about the Evertune. I'm just going to go to the screenshot of that guitar. Yeah. Well, Evertune is a a very unique system that is not high-tech. It's basically like baseline uh, physics. It's like you set up with a a couple of springs. You set up the whole tension of the the strings. So whenever um, it should go out of tune, it will automatically retune itself kind of. So it, it never can can get out of tune. And the cool thing about Evertune is that you can set it up either in a way it cannot bend. So even if you stretch the string, the springs will do the job and, and even that out. So even if you do like a full tone bend, the note will sound like it's the original uh, note okay. without being bended. But you can also set it up in a way where just like it's super uh, tuning stable and you can bend. And the, and the beauty about the, the Evertune is that once you set it up right, like perfect, it's it's ideal for the studio work because even like a couple cents off can sound weird in the studio. Mm. And if you have your guitars equipped with Evertune and they are all at the same level, like super, super, super precise, they ain't going to go out of tune. And you can take guitar A, guitar B and do first track, second track, third track, and they will all sound in tune. And that is that is the magic. That's a true magic because it's not necessarily for, for life purposes because, you know, if a string breaks and guitar tech is, is, is having a hard time or you don't have light, it, it can be a little bit messy. Um, and also it, it takes out a lot of wood from the guitar so and it's not necessarily like the best for the tone because it adds a lot of metal instead of wood so it yeah. changes the tone but really when it com- comes down to nailing tracks in the studio and being in tune Evertune is a great choice and, and it's basically also the reason why Monkey was so insistent on having that on his signature guitar the Apex 30 okay so did uh, you say Apex 30, if, yeah. if you break a string does it stay in tune? uh I'm not sure, actually. It should not, should it? No, it should not, because then you lose you lose one string. I'm not quite sure how you set it up. If the if the strings can if the strings can cope with uh, the difference in string tension, it should it should stay in tune. But I'm not quite sure what happens if you if you lose like the low E string. Hmm. That is a good mm, question. I okay. gotta admit, I have no clue. I haven't tried it. Actually, Evertune is so new. Evertune is—it's the first year that we have Evertune on, on these guitars, and uh, I've shipped out my very first Evertune uh, production model ye- um, the day before yesterday to Martin Miller because he needed it in the studio. So he is currently like trying and and, and, and tweaking it on his uh, uh, to make sure that it fits his uh, his demands. So I haven't really had a lot of quality time to spend with it, but that's definitely on my bucket list because like what I hear from from other musicians and what I hear from from studio guys, they are all over the moon with the Evertune system. So that's definitely something I've got to check out. And I, yeah. Cool, cool. Now, I want to, yeah. I've seen that, just looking through that, Paul Stanley. Still got old Paul Stanley on yeah. there. Yeah, absolutely, and yeah, Paul Stanley. The, is that one of the original Icemans? Yep, yep. He was one of the yep. original guys Actually, playing one, wasn't he? Yeah, he, like, that, that became one of 
like his signature guitar almost instantly when that was out and, and he joined Ivanus. He was, I mean, the Iceman is so often associated with him. It's kind of hard to differentiate what's like Iceman and what is the, the PS signature line. And he had like a brief tete-a-tete -tete with, another, with another guitar company, but he was always associated with, with Ivanus. Uh, because it's one like it's the first original Ivanus design, and, uh, and he made it famous. And uh, I mean, those guitars, especially with the crack mirror, uh, with the crack mirror finish, they are so unique. You can immediately, you know, put that into you know the right spot and know, okay, this is this is uh, the Paul Stanley signature guitar, and this is an Ivanus. So, so it's pretty cool when that he he's did, still with us. When he did go to the other company, it was still the same shape, wasn't it? Kinda, yeah, slightly, slightly off, but very much in that direction, yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. Now, <laughs> here's a very popular one. Uh, now, funnily enough, I oh know it's just over the other side a little bit. Uh, oh, sorry, I've got screens covering everything on this one. Yeah, but I've just found it. Um, Nita Strauss, her yeah. new Jiva, is that what it's called? Yes, Jiva. That is correct, Jiva, yeah. And she has three signature guitars for this year. Like we, we had the Jiva 10 that's been introduced um, 2018, 2018, yeah. And uh, for this year, we have the Jiva X and the Jiva Junior, which basically is a slightly cheaper guitar that uh, comes without the signature pickups, you know, because they add a lot to the to the overall costs. And then she's got the, like, over-the-top, top-notch model. It's called the Jiva X, and this is made in Japan, uh, it looks beautifully. It comes with binding. It's got the beaten heart inlay, which is very intricate and very fine. Uh, it's got a quilt maple top, um, a, 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 like a, a massive top. Um, like that's the ultimate S model, basically. And, and um, I can tell that that uh, Nita was very happy with that. I mean, it's a gorgeous guitar. It looks great. It plays great, and uh, that could become an instant classic for sure. But so, be careful. The Jiva X is limited. That was uh, that was a spot model just for this year. So I'm not quite sure how that will translate or transform into next year. It will be available in the same way or with a different finish. I'm I'm not quite sure how that will how that will happen. So looking at those, um, we're talking about various production models that became um, signature guitars for people. That's the what do they call that? Not Saber? Yeah, yeah, S. S. It became Saber. Like, Saber went into S because the Music Man uh, had a, um, a trademark on, on the Saber name. They had the Saber basis. So Ivanus had to rename it and they just shortened it to the S line. Yep. And Nita was always a big fan of the S line because it's so well balanced and, uh, you know, she's she's very active on stage. So, so she cannot, like, deal with a, a guitar that weighs 10 pounds and, you know, you have that around the shoulder for three or four hours on stage. Man, she so is that's very. That's definitely a plus. I, I saw Alice Cooper a couple of years ago now, and um, man, she just owns a stage, doesn't she? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very good stage presence. Yeah, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Um, okay, now there's the Andy Timmons model. Uh, yes, you, we mentioned that before. Let me just call that up and change this over here. I know what, what's gone wrong with my switching. I managed to see it that it was last night i had i had a um a multi-band thing on with a, a few grunge tribute shows and uh -huh. i changed a few things and it's just it just dawned on me why uh, i was having issues right. now yeah but i'm on top of it i know how to fix that but, but cool. I'm, I'm still able to get the screen up so there's the andy timmons and that's yes pretty much a a modern strat design really isn't it it is yeah, your, yeah yeah i mean it, it started with the AT100 in um, 
the early 90s when he was with Danger Danger and he played the super strats with double locking tremolos. And at that time, he was kind of coming up with his own tunes and wanted to kind of launch his solo career. So he kind of gravitated more towards a more traditional style, like a little bit more in the, in the, in the likes of Fender. And uh, the AT100 is basically a modern rendition of a classical strat design. Um, very baseline. It's an older, older body. You've got a beautiful maple neck with very, very thin satin finish, so it wears off beautifully. And uh, that guitar actually came out in 1999, so seven years after he <laughs> he got the guitar first, yeah. as a very limited hand-built uh, run that was exclusive to Japan and a few countries. Um, only 175 made, and they are beautiful. And then that went into production around 2005, if I'm not mistaken, 2006-ish. Uh, and became a regular production model made by Fujigen and in unlimited quantities, basically. Okay. And from there, we had like a wide iteration of it with an ebony fretboard. We had the AT10P, which is the premium version of it, which is slightly uh, more affordable. And basically, last year, we had the ATZ100, which is the AZ variant of Andy's signature guitar. And that comes with all the specs that the AZ is known for with uh, roasted maple neck, you've got lumen lace. We've got an older body, a locking tuners. The only difference here is instead of the proprietary um, Ibanez Goto tremolo that's used on the AZ, I, uh, Andy always wants to go with Wilkinson trem. So okay. we have the classical, V. I think it's called V6 Wilkinson trem. And he's he's known, his tone is very, very um, known for those kind of slightly overdriven tones. And yep. when you dial back the volume, uh, it gets that kind of sweet, sweet sound. Yep. So he's using the Mazio Cruisers. And in the original one, AT100, he's got a uh, humbucker on the bridge and two Dimasio Cruisers that are uh, supposed to go on the bridge, but he has it in the neck and the middle position. So oh, it's cool. basically an, uh, a bridge a bridge uh, humbucker in single coil format that he uses in this position. But for the ATZ, he went to, to give it a little, little bit different uh, flavor. So he went with a um, cruiser that is actually supposed to go on the bridge and is in the bridge. And we have in the middle and the the neck position, we have a cruiser that's supposed to go in the neck. So it's a little bit different tone compared to the regular AT100, but beautiful. And I'm, I'm a big Andy Timmons geek. If you if you look at the background, hopefully you can see it. Yep. This is like the first sheet of Electric Gypsy. Oh, cool. <laughs> cool. So that kind of, that is uh, a sound and, and Andy's like attitude as a player and his, his technique and his music always was something that I... Uh, totally fell in love with and actually what would also like caught my interest because he was he was releasing back in back in the mid 2000s he was releasing a lot of uh videos with mesa boogie about his tone and that was kind of what sparked the interest uh in me that wow there's a whole industry behind that and they do like gear rundowns and there's you know there's interest in the public out there you know there are people watching that on the internet yeah. and that kind of it, it dawned on me during that time well that might be a interesting business field too so it was yeah. somewhere in the back of my head yeah andy is actually if you don't yeah i was gonna say andy is somebody that i'd love to have on the show i've been trying to find a contact to, to get him on because i did meet him briefly at nam a couple of years ago i was walking along and yeah. Yeah. you've been to nam you know what it's like uh on the trade only days, it's just everywhere you go, you're sort of standing, you look yeah. beside you and go, Oh my God, you're Steve Lukather, <laughs> or Oh my God, you're Andy Timmons. And I did get a photo with him and he seemed like a, a lovely guy. Um, but uh, yeah, I did play, I'm not sure which version you had at 42 Gear Street, but I know there was an Andy Timmons model there. And that was my pick of them, of the Ibanez that you had there that day. I think that was my per my, my private guitar. 
Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Actually, <laughs> that I th- actually now that, that I say that, I, I remember saying to you at the time, man, this is the one that, yeah. that I really like. I think you said that. That's my, my own personal guitar. Yeah. 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 Well, played, played, I played it for 20 years, so <laughs> it should be different. Uh-huh. Yeah. Was there a couple there? Because the one I remember had, I thought it had a roasted maple neck and they weren't roasted maple back then, were they? No, 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 no. That is a new feature. I'm not quite sure if I, if I brought the ATZ one. I'm sure I brought my personal guitar because I'm in the hotel room. I, I, I always like to be able to play a little bit at night. Yeah. But uh, yeah, next time we see it at, at uh, 42 Gear Street, I'll make sure to bring my personal one at this one. So nice. Okay. You can AB. You can you can AB properly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. I'm gonna see who else we got here. Oh, we got Steve Vai, of course. Well, ah, yeah. And what? Well, we've looked at the gem. Let me just call up the um, new picture of the. Just hit this little button right here, and we can see the new pier. Yeah. Which is an evolution of the gem, really, isn't it? It's. Um, yeah, yeah, that's very well said. It's basically taking taking the gem into the into the year twenty twenty, and also making it fit to to Steve Vai's personality more. And you know, because he he matured too, and he developed, and he wanted just something slightly different. And like you said, it's it's not a revolution, but it's definitely an evolution. Now, I'm just having a look. He's still got available quite a few different um, gems there. Uh, mm-hmm. Even down to the – there's a blue flower, floral pattern one now, right? Mm-hmm. Um, man, when I was a kid, when I was just learning to play guitar, the original floral patterns, oh, my God, I just thought that was the best thing ever. And yeah. even now, I, w- I would love to have one of those. I, They go for quite a lot of money. Um, mm-hmm. They were wrapped in his – in fabric that were his, his curtains, I believe, right? Yep. <laughs> yeah. And therefore, uh, therefore, I'm assuming you can't get the same print anymore because they just couldn't find the same curtain material. The blue's yeah. very very similar. Is that wrapped in fabric as well? The blue ones? Nope. Um, I think already the 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 because this, the one that you're showing here is the premium version, so this is like printed. And I think back in the day, um, the blue, the original floral pattern, the blue one, the blue floral pattern was also no longer fe- fabric, but it was a, a print, a very thin print that looked like fabric. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, just... But those were gorgeous too. I mean, the, the, the combination of the maple fretboard with, you know, that bluish kind of look, that those were wow, gorgeous. Uh, and they are super hard to, uh, to find nowadays. So it's a very good investment, but that's a totally different story. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. That does look... Absolutely stunning. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I always wanted one of those. Ah, something just popped into my mind. There's a rumor that Evo, his number one, that you've got the replica of there, was actually yeah. a floral pattern. Have you heard that? That got not stripped. At all. But that could, that could be just some, something I read on the internet, maybe. Yeah. But there is a classic photo of Steve from the Ibanez ads where he's kind of holding the guitar like this and he's kind of looking, you just see his silhouette of his face. And I've seen <laughs> seen it said that, that that was that actual guitar, but somehow along the way they, they stripped it. And Oh, okay. You know well, what? that's a cool story. I, I didn't know, but... You know what? That's bullshit. That's bullshit. Why? Show me the back of the, the one you've got there. 
Ah, let's see. There you go. It's a diff- different neck joint. Different neck joint. Oh, there you go, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you never, yeah. They used yeah, to have the square right. with a plate. Yeah. And that's the all-access neck joint. That's right, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. But you never, you know, with, with Steve, you never know what kind of prototypes and, and body shapes he was using uh, because the all-access neck shape is not something that was developed over time. So, uh, I mean, he, he's got such a big collection and Thomas Nordic, his guitar tech, he's so innovative when it comes to stuff like that. I mean, you, you never really know what you're getting with Steve and what he's playing. It's, it's, he's, he's surprising all the time. So. Absolutely. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if, if if he found a guitar like that even looks stunning and has a swirl finish or a floral pattern finish or something, and he says, "Well, I think it might it might sound better without the, the top coating or something." That he would just have someone strip it down. You know, I mean, it's Steve Vai; he can. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Now there was one more um, endorser there, a signature model artist there, uh, that I've just called up a picture of, and that's Yvette Young. Yeah. Now. Yvette. Um, Yvette, I, I happened upon uh, across on the internet a few years ago and just went, oh my God, how, how amazingly original. And you can see there in the picture, she's got the, the capo on her guitar there. Um, yeah. Guitar styles. She does. Uh, yeah. She, she comes from the piano actually. And this is why she learned uh, when, when she approached the guitar, she had no like uh, expectation on how to on how to play it so she just like approached it like a piano and he plays a lot of tapping and slides with the fingers which which uh, creates that unique tone but like you said she uses different tunings and uh, has the capo and shifts that back and forth just to make sure that everything is like fitting to to the fingerings that uh, she needs for the song but she's like that is part of why she's so unique you know she's a great she's a great innovator in guitar too wow I just had a bit of a close-up look at that. So it's a green sparkle as I hovered up above that. You could see the... Um, Holy moly, yeah. The, and the that green... sparkle is sparkle. Yeah, that's really sparkly. Yeah. And again, that's <laughs> that's uh, based on the, the Tolman, like the uh, like noodles, yeah? Yeah, like not mm. like the new noodles uh, because the new noodles uh, model is like an, another uh, development or iteration of the Tolman, but just like the original Tolman shape that she's she's using and i kind of find it interesting that she as a modern and very progressive player is gravitating towards such a kind of traditionally looking guitar i mean it's quirky it's off it's a little bit like a jack stang or those kind of grunge associated guitars yeah but still it's very kind of traditional it's not like a race car of a guitar so uh, i like that it's, it's a it's a nice contradiction to some degree yeah. absolutely man no it's it's beautiful so um any any new models coming out that you're allowed to talk about, or is there some things? <laughs> so do you uh, sort of keep things pretty guarded as to what what you guys are working on. Yeah, yeah. Usually, usually we do that, so uh, I, I cannot spoil any any surprises. The only thing I can say is that we have a lot of uh, cool stuff in the making, um, like in all fields. We just released the EHB, the electric headless basis for for 2020. Uh, they just hit the markets. The reception is pretty good, so um, that was a, a big development for Ibanez. And, and usually, it you know, and it was the second big development after the AZ line that was kind of really built from scratch. So you take a empty sheet of paper and then you design. Okay, what are we going for? So that those kind of developments they they take time. So we have those kind of 150, 200 models each year that come with different finishes and slight variations in the specs. But um, 
if you design a whole new instrument, it, it can take like a couple of years. So there are a couple of exciting projects, but even if I would say something about those, it wouldn't be a guarantee that they get released in 2021 because the quality has to be there. And until, you know, the artist and, and the R&D guys say, okay, now it's spot on, now we can release it before that nothing gets released. And that's also a big part of why Ibanez is such a cool brand because they want to, you know, they, they want to have that quick shot and quick market attention, but the product fails. They really want to be behind the product. And with the AC line and the EHP basis, that they, those are new developments that really, um, you know, stick to that kind of agenda. And, and, and the, like I said, we have a couple very exciting projects for 21 and 22, but I'm sorry. I That's can't okay. say more. That's okay. Now, <laughs> what I did want to ask you about was, you've been posting some really cool photos on Facebook lately. Um, yeah. And I wasn't real sure. You said yeah about specking different different um, woods and fretboard radiuses and things. It was a custom shop. Were you building virtual guitars online, or were they actual real pictures of guitars? What was that all about? Because <laughs> I think Henning was was confused about that as well. It was like, man, are these real guitars? What's going on here? <laughs> Henning wanted to know if I bought that guitar. <laughs> Yeah, actually, um, yeah, on my on my Facebook and, and, and even more like um, more often on my Instagram, like almost every day or basically every day I post a picture of, of cool guitars. And uh, I'm in the, the very good position that uh, I have a lot of friends that own cool guitars and send me pictures and our artists send pictures. And also I get have the chance to design stuff. And those guitars that were actually uh, specced by me because there's a um, so-called Japan custom shop program that's currently open, I think, for Europe and Japan only so far. But uh, you never know what the future will bring. And uh, what this program is actually about is, is uh, you can have your own RG built with your own specs. So there are certain options, like certain uh, pickup combinations, pickups, um, certain neck shapes, a lot of like more than, I think, 100 finishes you can choose from different woods. So it all, it's like it's a big like a big bouquet of options and basically you can select what you want and at the end of the day they will build your instrument at the custom shop which is super cool because i think there hasn't been an opportunity like this ever and uh they have a they have a very high price tag to be fair but uh, what you get is really like top-notch quality it's like if, if it's the pinnacle basically of ivan's guitar it's a, it's the perfect rg if you know what you want because this is always the danger of specking your own guitar if you if you choose woods that uh, might sound cool, but you have no reference, you can easily get, get disappointed. So I highly recommend before you spec that guitar to, to find a, a reference that goes at least a little bit in the direction. Because with the neck shapes, you know how the neck shapes with Ivanus are. With the pickups, you know what to expect from, let's say, Dimasio, Air Norton, and Tone Zone. But the wood combination is really the crucial part. So, um, yeah, I recommend to, to try that out for yourself. And then if you then want to create your ultimate RG, then if you're in Europe or located in Japan, you can go to a dealer and uh, ask for the Japan Custom Shop program. Okay. And that's pretty cool. Nice. Very nice. That, they were beautiful looking guitars. Um, actually, a friend of mine, Ben, that had the, the Chrome Boy, um, man, he had this red, I, I don't, it was an RG style guitar, uh, Ibanez, and it looked very much like one of these custom ones. I'm not sure what particular model, but I'm, Ben, if you're still there, man, if what you know about that that guitar was that a custom shop job? Because I've never seen one like it. It had all the the beautiful inlays, the, the vine inlay, beautiful flame uh, red top, but it just played like butter. Like it's one yeah. of those guitars where 
anything you think, you know, you barely have to touch it and it just, just flows out. You know? yeah, uh, yeah. Folks, if you have any questions for Dan, please let me know now uh, uh, before I round things up. Sometimes it can take a, a while to get through all the questions. Um, <laughs> and J Custom is what Ben's saying that guitar was. Yeah, correct. Uh, yeah. Yep, J Custom. Is that is yeah. that the so ones? Yeah, yeah. I mean, J Custom is like basically the broad term for all the guitars that are like the even above prestige level. Mm-hmm. So they all most mostly come with the Tree of Life inlay or the Vine inlay, and they have like uh, the highest specs, triple A grade tops and stuff like that. And they used to be like small um, small series of these that that came out every year, and still we have them, and they range from you know they start at something like two and a half k up to five or six k, but the the unique part about the uh, Japanese custom shop is that you can design your one-off instrument. And if you if you do the if you do the math like statistics-wise, there are more than a million of options that you can choose from. You know, this neck and this wood and those pickups and this selector and uh, and that's just unique because no, literally nobody will create the exact same guitar that you have. And yeah. the cool thing also, uh, let me let me add that because this is also a part of like the magic. You get to pick the words. So if you decide you want the guitar. You go to your dealer, and then the dealer gets uh, images from uh, from Japan, and you can actually pick your wood. You can wow. say, "Okay, I want that pop poplar top. I want that flame flame maple," and that is unique because it's it's your guitar, it's your choice, and uh, yeah. it really you know becomes part of yourself if you ha- can make conscious decisions on uh, how the guitar is supposed to look like. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, as I say, folks, if you got any questions, uh, now's the time to ask them because I'm about to ask Dan one question, and that is. Um, if you could have just one Desert Island Ibanez guitar, which one would you have? You can only have one. Uh, yep, I have you one. You look like you've you got one there. you got one there. Yep. Oh, I like this. I like it when they go to get something special. Let's see what he's got. What's he got? What's he got? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to disappoint you because it's neither looking fancy nor... That's okay. Nor a that's super, your super that's your old that's rubber. the original um, Andy Timmons. That is correct, and it's got a super cool serial number. Serial number is O seven double O seven. Wow! Hope you can see that. I can't actually. Oh, maybe if I hold it like this, no. Is it like an imprint? Yes, yeah, yes, I can like, just it, see it. it. Yes, super, yes. super, super hard to see. Yeah, but this guitar has been played for twenty years now. Uh, still in good shape though, but that's my go-to guitar. Um, the neck is super worn in, so it feels like a yeah, like a well-played guitar basically. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, this is just my yeah my second me basically on the guitar. Yeah. So I was wow. every, I, I I gotta make a confession. I was never a fan of those kind of classic guitars because my dad used to play a back in the day a Fender Strat that looked pretty much the same. So yep. naturally, as a kid, you you. Don't really like what your parents like. You want to rebel, yeah, yeah. You want something different. <laughs> you want to rebel, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and and I, I was I was never really a big fan, but that guitar basically blew me away just from its tone. And like I said, there are only 175. And um, in the 90s, I I got to play one of these, and I totally fell in love with it. And I decided, okay, I gotta I gotta find one. So and uh, the pickguard slightly. I was able to get that from. The pickguard slightly different shape, isn't it? Like on, yeah, on that like one, a, yeah. it comes right down onto the, the lower horn. On the newer one, Correct, yeah. it doesn't, does it? Correct. So if you compare it AB, which is funny because on Andy Timmons' original guitar, this 
this little part until cracked it off. goes to the screw cracked off so it actually looks like on the az models that's what so I thought. That's a funny 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 coincidence yeah but yeah. like this is the desert island guitar and i think all of the or most of the ibanez maniacs that grew up with ibanez they had that one particular model that they you know always will gravitate towards and, and it will take to a desert island and for yeah. me it's definitely this one ah nice so um Poo Ninja in the chat room. Not sure if you know of Poo Ninja. He 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 gets around. He follows all the the big guitar YouTubers, uh, <laughs> and um, he's saying five springs in the back. And he says so. So he's not yeah. the only one. What gauge strings are on it? He wants to know. Tens. Tens. Okay. Tens, of course. Ten to forty-six. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I like I like I like like a fat bottom, but uh, like. In everyday playing if you play various styles and like i said sometimes i play a little bit of fingers finger stylish stuff and uh, you know if you want to do the mark knopfler thing and you do with the thumb here i, I prefer the 46 compared to the 52s but i recently started using the uh, ibanez balance tension strings uh, you know i was i was uh, i was dealing with the dario a couple of years ago and the whole balance tension idea was something that i really uh, grew on me and uh, luckily Ibanez now also have those kind of strings and I'm using these and they are pretty cool because the string tension across all six strings is is pretty similar so if you do like the full tone bend it's it's almost equal amount of uh, um, force that you have to to put into the string you just reminded me I, I tried those I think I got a set at 42 gear street and very likely yeah yeah no I really like those and you know what else I really liked man I mentioned earlier that I'm colorblind. I stopped using Daddario strings in the early nineties <laughs> when they went with their whole um, environmentally friendly packaging because yeah, yeah. put me on a stage and I've got a broken string and I've got to pull out a packet. The, the, the colored ball, ball end thing is useless. Yeah. Absolutely <laughs> useless to me. Oh, you can feel the yeah. different ones. No, 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 no. But, I, and when I, I went to open up those Ibanez strings, I went, ah, oh, they're not in individually uh, marked out packets like like I, I usually need. And then I saw that each string had a little yeah. piece of paper wrapped around it that said E, yeah. A, yeah. D. And I just went, <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. that's how you do it. That's how you do it. Uh, so I was yeah. very, very impressed with that. Um, cool. Yeah. So – Ibanez strings. There's Ibanez picks as well. Do they make picks? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah they are they are made in Japan, so they are very good quality. And uh, we have quite a few artists. I think uh, Kiko has a, a signature set of strings. George Benson has. Uh, there are Steve I and, and Paul Gilbert signature picks. So it's a vast array of uh, various picks and shapes and formats. And that's pretty cool. John Schofield too, I think. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So I, 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 Ibanez is, is basically everything. We have like we have amps, we have picks. Uh, there's a big segment of jazz boxes, the bass segment, uh, even the acoustic guitars. I mean, we have so many great young players. You know, those kind of fingerstyle players that do they, they do the clapping and, and slapping on the guitar. We have so many great talent. There's one guy in the states, Marcin Pachawek. It's a Polish guy who won. Uh, no, he he went semi-final in uh, or final in America's Got Talent. He's from Poland, and he's one of those dudes. He plays an Ibanez AE900 acoustic guitar, and he does magic with it. Uh, this wow. guy is Marcin. Check it out. M-A-R-C-I-N. He's okay. a great dude. Like early, late 19 or early 20 years old, and uh, so much talent in such a small person. That's incredible. <laughs> I just remembered that back in 2000, 
2000, 2001. I was playing guitar for a guy that um, was a pop artist signed with Sony. And we're doing a lot of TV stuff, so I got to pick and choose a lot of loner guitars for, for all, all the TV stuff. And I went – the people at Astralis, who uh, are your um, – I think they're still the distribut- distributors over here in, in Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I went there to, to check out some acoustic guitars, and they had a seven-string acoustic and I had a lend of that for a month or two. And I only just clicked, as you were talking then, my intro music to this Chit Chats with Gitcats, which you couldn't hear when we were going, but if you were to go back, you'd see it, the, the minute intro. That song was written on a seven-string Ibanez acoustic with a low B. Awesome. That yeah, awesome. I just, just clicked to that. It was like, ah, because, yeah, I can remember picking it up and just, so cool. and yeah. just thinking seven-string acoustic, that's so different and that was the first thing that came out and the the song that i've got is actually like a very breakbeat electronic kind of thing but that chord uh, progression uh, and the guitar was actually written on a seven string um that acoustic. is so cool yeah yeah that is so cool that's so, a great story yeah uh so I, I really have focused mainly on electric but you guys have got acoustics really nice acoustics amplifiers pedals Man, let's not forget. Yeah, yeah, there's some very some classic pedals. Oh yeah, the tube screamer in all of its variations. Like we had the new new tube screamer with the little cork new tube. We had the super cool TSV, the um, the Vamarim. The tube that was the cooperation between the Japanese Vamarim company and, and Ibanez. That was a a great pedal. I think it was super limited to I don't know how many pieces, but not not too many. So uh, that was that was super cool. That's an always on pedal. I have so many artists that that bought one of those. TSV 808, the Tube Screamer Vamarin pedal. It's like a Tube Screamer that, that um, is not too mid-focused, so you, it adds a little bit more in, in, in the lows and also in the, in the treble frequencies. And uh, like that's a, a great pedal. It can turn a good amp into a great amp. Cool. That is super nice. Yeah. yeah. Nice. One. Yeah. And apart from that, I mean, like you said, there's basically something for everyone and also for every price tag. But uh, the key point really is to enthuse people about playing the guitar no matter if it costs 200 bucks or 2000 bucks and yeah. we're striving so much uh, it's the same like when i post pictures it's to enthuse people to give you your daily uh, doses of ga- uh, gas and uh, we work with music schools and we work with young musicians and we have a lot of artists on the roster it's, it's really a mission it's not just like it, of course there's a business aspect to it but it's also like a a mission that that you are on as a guitar manufacturer and also as a distributor that works with them to to make sure that the guitar is not dying and, and people are enjoying it. Cool, yeah. cool. Now there is a question here from Ben asking, "What style do you like to play, and who do you like to emulate?" <laughs> well, um, like I said, my big hero is Andy Timmons, but I'll probably never be even close to one percent of his capability. But I like to play like a lot of styles. Um, actually, I'm actually I'm, I'm more gravitating towards playing with fingers so like knopfler diostrates that's something that floats my boat and uh, we had that earlier before we went to live um i come originally from a blues background because i had a older friend who was a big blues player with you know he, he played the harp too and slide guitar so he introduced me to robert johnson and those old robert johnson's recordings when i was 16 17 i you know hours and hours they went on hellhound on my trail and me and the devil blues and those kind of Oh, no. Nice, yeah. 
that kind of stuff, that is something that I, that I really like. It's something that, you know, if you wake me up at night, it's, uh, that's probably the, one of those songs that I could play immediately. <laughs> cool. cool. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's my musical background. No shredder. Sorry. No. It's funny because when I hear people playing those, those, those blues uh, standards, you know, those little turnarounds and stuff, I never did learn those. And I'm always impressed. Anybody that plays different to me, like there's guys out there that play the same three note per string arpeggio thing that Gary been doing since the 80s. And it just doesn't impress me. It's like, yeah, that's the same old, same old that I'm sick of in my own playing. So when I hear somebody that's that's different and just playing some of that that old Robert Johnson style, yeah, it makes my ears go, oh, hello, what was that? That, that was cool. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and it always blew my mind that he invented that like that early and those recordings they sound like two people are playing with each other it's not just that there's one person in the room yeah and uh that's really something with the devil <laughs> <laughs> yeah i always laugh that i can't play anything on my own i always need accompaniment someone gives me a guitar and go oh play me something uh do you want to give me like a backing track <laughs> or something to play over yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> Uh, and talking to Thomas yeah. Blug, I asked him the same, and he said the same thing. He said people always say to him, "Oh, can't you just play me like a Christmas song or something?" Yeah, <laughs> and I had to laugh because my mum was always the same. Hey, can't you play a, a Christmas song? Or just like, oh, no, <laughs> I'll play a Eruption. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm telling you a true story. It took my my grandpa is a, is a very nice dude, but he's very critical. And it, I think it, I started playing the guitar at the age of seven. I think it took me. 20 to 22 years until I got my first compliment from him. Really? <laughs> Hard man to impress. <laughs> Absolutely. But that was one of those days, you know. There are days and there are days. And when you went there and he said, well, that's a super nice tune, uh, I was like, whew, <laughs> made it. <laughs> yeah. So what do you reckon, folks? Dr. Dan. It is Dr. Dan. And I'm not just it making is, that yeah. up. What, no, do, no, what no, do you have a, a doctorate in, Matt? International management. International management. Yeah, Man, yeah. I'd, so I'd, I'm I'd, one of the bad, the bad business guys. I'd, I'd be, man. If I was a doctor, I'd just be, yeah, dropping that all the time. Yeah, Doctor Rick. Yeah. <laughs> For you, it's doctor. No. Well, in, in the music industry, it's it's less useful than when you're working uh, as a lawyer in a bank or something. That's yeah. for sure. But yeah. it's a nice twist, and uh, yeah. I make fun. A lot of people make fun of that too. <laughs> Doctor Dan sounds better than than Doctor Rick. I think yeah, the, the the two D's yeah, that just has a really cool ring about it. Nice so, alliteration. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. What do you reckon, folks? How, how's Dan's knowledge been on Ibanez? It's been. I mean, not only does he work for the company, but you can tell you were well and truly a fanboy that found his calling. And, absolutely, um, absolutely. Yeah, and, and and I think it just goes to show when people are passionate about the product that they represent it makes the world a difference you know absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. Like, it's getting up every morning and just thinking yeah i want to get up i want to go into the company i want to check my emails and talk with guys and, and gals and it's that's that's super cool i'm, I'm very blessed and uh and to know yeah, your stuff I gotta, man I, I tried to get a real job towards the end of last year and i got a job working for a hearing specialist place. Um, that, All right. Yeah. That I, I used to buy my, my molded earplugs through them. N never again. I, it was it was funny to go to work at this place, and they they did 
They were in all the shopping malls and they'd have hearing tests. The whole idea is they were just trying to sell hearing aids to people because there's a lot of lot of money in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I realized within a couple of days of being there that nobody was passionate about hearing or hearing protection or anything like that or knew the first thing about it. And mm-hmm. I recall hearing this lady who was the manager of that store sit down, somebody down and do the whole hearing test and then try and explain the frequency chart to them. And just the bull, utter bull crap that came out of her mouth <laughs> because these people they're talking to don't understand frequencies and things, right? Yeah. And this, this lady who had a voice like the nanny, she, she talked like this. She had this one of those voices, right? And I can remember her explaining to somebody who on the chart, it said, um, you could see that there was a roll off from about 4k and, and she said to this person, oh yeah, that's, that's you, that's you, your high, high pitched women's voices around there. Um, yeah, men's, men's voices, that's, that's around. And then she said, uh, the, around the 1000 K and I'm thinking, no lady, it's one K or a thousand cycles. And I just heard this explanation and, Seriously, you try and get um, – no, she called that a male tenor voice. She said a male tenor voice is around the 1,000K. <laughs> and I'm thinking, okay. And I'm thinking to myself, there is no way that you could get a male tenor to sing a, a, a 1K test tone. <laughs> like, it had, oh, you, very hard for them to get there. And I said to her afterwards, um, this explanation you're giving, you know, were you taught – this and then she just threw this other absolute utter rubbish at me trying to talk technical thinking that I didn't understand and I just thought wow nobody here understands a thing about this company they're representing mm-hmm. even the audiologists that work there I can remember talking to this lady said oh you're an audiologist I want to know noise cancelling headphones like I'm wearing right now can is the fact that it's taking, it's got microphones, it's picking up the outside signal and it's putting that back in but out of phase. So is that effectively doubling the sound pressure on your head? Therefore, is that like bad to wear them? And this woman just looked at me like, oh, they didn't teach us about that in university. You know, that's got nothing to do with... And long story, I, I, I met one guy at one of the stores, South African audiologist, Within talking 10 minutes with him, he said to me, when are you starting your studies? I said, what do you mean? He goes, man, you know so much more about audiology than anybody else in this company. You should be working here. You'd kick kick butt. And he was the only guy in that whole company I met that knew the slightest thing or was interested in representing that company mm-hmm. effectively. So I bring that up. That was the long blah, 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 just to say it's so good to see somebody like yourself representing Ibanez and, and all the other brands under the under the, the minor umbrella. I, I've been focusing on Ibanez mainly because this is a, a guitar chit-chat show. But, yeah, kudos to you, man, for just being so knowledgeable on, on everything, all the backstory and everything. That's why I really thank wanted to get much. you on here, man, and um, I'm so glad I did. So I want to thank you so much for your time, Dan. Thank you, Rick. It was a and pleasure. I'd love to have you back on in the future if you're up for it. Absolutely. Yeah. Looking forward to that. 
cool. Yeah. I'm just going to have a quick look in the in the comments there, folks, before I do round up, if there's anything else anybody wanted to ask, either Dan or myself. There's a lot of comments there just about not so much questions. Gabor's in, in the house uh, from the super fun, awesome, happy time pedal show. Oh, and, and Yeah, and he's saying um, he had a set of the George Benson 14s on a GB10, super heavy strings. <laughs> Gabor, that's just weird. That's just weird, dude. <laughs> I actually went down to eight, so I had issue with tendonitis um, mm-hmm. in recent years, and my friend gave me a set of eights recently, and they were amazing. I could play anything I could think of. I was only limited by my own knowledge and things that I could think, but yeah. technique wasn't a problem. I could play anything I could think. But then it made me realize I need to learn to think of more ideas. <laughs> that was my only limitation. <laughs> um, God, look, that's, look at that. We've got a lot of people saying great shows, Rick. I, they enjoyed this one, so other people are enjoying it. Oh, Poo Ninja, I get the that's best cool. guests. Yes, I do get the best guests, don't I? <laughs> I I'm trying. I'm trying. Um, look, there's there's a, probably a few more there that I, I've missed. It's hard to keep an eye on that, but... Again, Dan, thank you so much, mate. I'm going to hit the button. You know what happens when I hit the button? Cool. You know what? I made a boo-boo. I used to have on my controller the start and end of the show. Well, there was a start, and it would turn into the end button. And I had Thomas McRocklin on here a couple of weeks ago, and I fumbled and dropped my controller and accidentally hit end broadcast right in the middle of him talking. (laughs) (laughs) And we had to, oh, come back. But – I have since got rid of that. All I have is my end screen. So when I do this and I go up to here and I hit this button right here, right there, right there. Ready? One, two, three, go. Oh, 